this episode of Riding the 3x3, Patrick Fetch and I dive into some of the more lopsided first round series in the NBA playoffs. And then we move into the NFL news and notes surrounding Julio Jones and his trade value. Aaron Rodgers, a no-show at OTAs vacationing in the Hawaiian Islands. And then we got no receivers showing up for the Packers as well. A sign of confidence in their receiver or in their quarterback or just a coincidence. Pat and I discuss the latest talk around Aaron Rodgers and his time in Green Bay. Will it be up or will it continue through the 2021 season? Close the show with a wraparound. The MLB top three teams that I think have separated themselves from the field a little bit through the first couple months of the season and then two brutal pitching injuries for some of the contending teams in the New York market. All that coming up on Round the 3x3. You can catch on Spotify, Apple, Google, wherever you get your podcast. Go ahead and subscribe, rate, and review. Let's get into lane number one. We're live here on StreamYard, Twitter, Periscope, all that good stuff. Facebook, it is Riding the 3x3. I'm your host, Russ Heltman, joined as always by Patrick Fetch on the other end of the line. Jam-packed, jam-packed sports slate to get to. Let's jump right into it. Three topics for the people, starting with the NBA, then NFL, and MLB. We're going to be talking about the Clippers clipping their way to their uh, their well-known ways. Just it's, it's typical, typical Clipper show, Pat, for a team that has not reached the conference finals in uh, well over 50 years. We're going to talk about that and many more of the uh, playoff results through two games, heading into game threes beginning tonight on Thursday, and then more in the uh, the rest of the weekend. NFL news, Julio Jones warranting a first-round offer from some teams. We'll talk about that report from Diana Rossini and also – no receivers of note for the Packers showing up to OTAs and their best player. The best player arguably in the NFL did not show up to OTAs as well. Aaron Rodgers, we'll talk about that in lane two. Then MLB, two New York pitchers, very key cogs to their teams when available. Noah Syndergaard and Corey Kluber. Kluber himself fresh off a uh, a no-hit bid just a, just a few days ago against the Texas Rangers. He is on the shelf for two months, and Noah Syndergaard at least out for six weeks after experiencing elbow soreness in his rehab start in St. Lucia. So the Mets very timid and very tepid about the prospects of him playing the rest of the year. We'll close out that lane with the Padres, Dodgers, and Rays. Are they a cut above the rest of the 27 teams in Major League Baseball, three of the hottest clubs in the land right now, and two of them residing in that famous, famous NL West that we thought would give people in teams so much trouble this year. Pat, NBA first round, Clippers down 0-2, have let the Dallas Mavericks shoot 50-plus percent from three-point range in this series. They have no answer for Luka Doncic. Absolutely zero answer, Pat. We had literally Ty Lue last night basically saying, yeah, let's let's see them shoot this well at home. Like you know how they say usually teams let's see them shoot this well on the road. They're at that point now. Pat, the Clippers are all the way backwards, and their coach has no answer for what is arguably the most unsolvable problem in the playoffs currently today. With how injured LeBron James is, Luka Doncic with shooters around him. Very funny that you had to mention that name at the end of that little uh, soliloquy there. Whatever the. Uh, I just woke up from a nap. Sorry, a little bit of fog brain, and so we're gonna we're gonna do really well on this one. Luca reminds me so much of LeBron at times, and the way that he commands offenses. Uh, he and LeBron, I think, are the only two players, maybe like Anthony Davis as well, that 
Every single matchup is a mismatch. You just cannot guard him. He wins no matter if it's Kawhi on him, if it's uh, Paul George on him, if it's Marcus Morris, if it's Rajon Rondo. It does not matter who the Clippers have thrown out there. They've tried different things. They've hit him with the doubles. He just dominates every single matchup. He seems like he could score every single possession if he wants to. It's just more of a challenge to see how many 20-point games he can get out of his teammates while he's at it. It's just unfair. Uh, he seems to really like playing against the Clippers, too, ever against that. They say they called him the, what, the bitch-ass white boy? Who was that? Morris, right? It was Morris, yeah. And, yeah. So that and was then like, what did he say? He told Patrick Brady, he's like, he's like, you're too fucking small. You're too fucking small. I'm like, he is Luca, my man. <laughs> okay. Okay. He has an edge right now, Pat. And at 22 years old, a guy that I think, what would you say, Pat? In the rest of the league of the young players, I think Luka Doncic is on the quickest and best path towards the next great one, the next Pantheon type of player, the next top 10, top 15, all type time type of talent. And those guys usually pop a little bit earlier than we think they're going to pop. Those guys usually come in and steal series away from contending teams. I'm not even going to put the Clippers in contending team range. When you tank against the Rockets and the Thunder to make sure you play against the Mavericks and then go on to lose another two games in a row after losing to the two worst teams in the NBA, you, you reap what you sow, Pat. And we're seeing Luka Doncic really take control of his own playoff destiny at such a young age, like so many greats have done before him. Michael Jordan uh, being able – to lead those Bulls teams deep in the playoffs. LeBron James, 22 years old, leading the Cleveland Cavaliers in the 2007 playoffs to the finals over that Detroit Pistons team. I'm not saying that the Mavericks are going to go to the finals. I'm not saying anything like that. They're up, they're up 2-0. They still got to get the job done here in a scenario where four of 31 home teams to fall down 0-2 in the beginning two games of a series have ever gone on to uh, come back and win that best of seven. So tall odds for the Clippers. It's not necessarily over. But it's put up or shut up time, Pat. And this team has, when I'm talking about the Clippers moving off of Luka Doncic, never been able to put up when they've had the uh, the chance to shut up their opponents. Does not happen. Yep. Has not happened yet. And we like there is no reason for us to believe they're going to come back from down out there. No, there isn't. But let's touch touch on that comment that the Mavs aren't going to make the finals. The way that they're playing right now, why can't they? They probably have the best player in all of the Western side of things going on, maybe in the entire NBA until they get to see Brooklyn. Yeah, like if LeBron's so, only going to drive two times a game, like then 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 Luka will be the best player left in, in the uh, – a uh, uh, no-driving LeBron James isn't as good as this current Luka Doncic. Especially if Luka is getting the help of Hardaway, Tim Hardaway Jr., shooting in like 80% alongside of him. Porzingis, That's 28 in that win against the Clippers. Porzingis has been really, really efficient, too. He's been doing really just enough. Anything they get from their bench seems like a bonus. If Luka's going to play like this, though, and, and put up 40-point triple-doubles, LeBron-esque, and him carrying the Cavs team to the, to the finals, I, mean, I don't really see that type of super team or that type of just, like, dominant force in the West this year. I really don't. It seems very, very even with a lot of parity. So I... I wouldn't discount the Mavs. They seem to be playing really the best basketball of anybody in the West the first two games so far. I haven't seen Luka really fall on his face at all so far through eight career playoff games, uh, 31 points, 10 rebounds, 11 assists in game one, Pat. That made him the first player in league history with three triple doubles in his first seven career playoff games. And on the on the other side, 
when we're, when we're talking about mono mono superstar on superstar, Kawhi Leonard had a 30-point first half. And it didn't matter. Didn't matter at all. The Mavericks were down two points and uh, came back and comfortably, pretty much comfortably won the game. It got a little scary there in the final uh, final two minutes, but uh, the Mavericks pulled away based off those role players stepping up. And for a team in L.A. that you and I said was the most talented team in the West, I still believe that, coming into these playoffs, had just eaten the egg on their face down 0-2 after the 127-121 loss. Yeah, so what are you – are you giving more credit to Luca, or are you putting more of the blame on the Clippers? It looks terrible the way the Clippers backpedaled into. Oh, the it's, this is more on the Clippers. You can't if you let a team come into your building, Pat, and shoot fifty three percent from downtown. That's an that's an unmitigated disaster. That is totally on the Clippers. Sure, Luka Doncic and the Mavs have played well, but where's the game plan? Where is the defensive versatility? Where's the communication on that side of the ball? It's like they're running two different schemes. During the middle of the game, it's crazy. Like the amount of times and the amount of things they've thrown at the wall so far and none having sticked, it's a it's really bad, especially when Pat, like I said, they tanked the final two games of the season. They were planning on facing up against the Mavericks. But Pat, if you have time to prepare for an opportunity or a uh, uh, or uh, an opponent, do you think maybe you'd be ready to go with some defensive schemes against the number one offensive option? And the only way that's going to take you out of the playoffs very much faster than you wanted to be out of there, Luka Doncic. And they have no answer for him already. They didn't have an answer for him last year. And now he's even better with a more well-rounded supporting cast around him. Chris Dasperzingas is healthy. He's played well and been able to uh, open up the floor. And it's it's been really, really cool to, cool to watch so far. Dallas Mavericks are getting the job done. Another team getting the job done and getting set to tip off here in just a few minutes. Probably uh, – right at the tail end of our show here, the Milwaukee Bucks and the Miami Heat. Milwaukee laid a whooping on Miami in game two. Pat came out and shot, what was it, 22 of 53 from the three-point arc, 132-98 victory. We discussed on Monday how this team still found a way to block out the demons, get the job done after having shot 16% from from the three-point line, having that huge shot from Chris Middleton, and right now, Pat, I think you can make a strong argument that the Milwaukee Bucks are the most well-equipped team in all of the NBA to take out the Brooklyn Nets in this playoff setup over the next two months. I agree. Uh, they came in game two, absolutely blitz the Heat. I feel like that was one of really only two. I didn't see that being uh, you know a close game where the Bucks had to edge that out. I really thought the Heat were going to pounce on on a team with a better game plan, really take advantage of what they saw in game one or the Bucks would assert dom- dominance. I think the Bucks could potentially even go on to sweep this series. I think they're tired of people thinking that the heat are on the same level as them. And drew holiday is making a huge difference. The way, if, the way they were able to just pounce on them in the first quarter, it really wasn't even fair. What was it like 40 to 17? I feel like at one point 46 to 20. In the first quarter, it was the second most first quarter points ever scored by a team in the NBA playoffs. And Pat, when you have Dwayne Dedman as your leading scorer with 19 points on 8 of 11 from the field, you're typically going to lose by double digits. I'm sorry, Dwayne, I don't mean to to disparage you like that, buddy, but he should not be playing any minutes in this series legitimately, and he wouldn't be if they had a uh, a true wing stopper like they did last year in Jay Crowder, who made it just difficult on Giannis Antetokounmpo and this allowed him just enough physically to get into his spots in the interior of the defense. 
And without him there in a old kind of washed up Trevor Ariza, who doesn't have the same strength and defensibility as he once did, it's forced them to play Dwayne Dedman and Bam Adebayo at the same time. And they don't have the offensive, they don't have the offensive firepower to be able to keep up. And that was obvious with the 98 points they scored in today's modern NBA. You never want to be below hundred, very, very unlikely to win games, especially against an offensive juggernaut like the Milwaukee Bucks. I don't have much else to say about this series. I thought the Bucks were too good for this Miami team coming in. I never bought this Miami team all season long. Everybody was chirp, 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 chirp. Oh, Miami's going to figure it out. Chirp, 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 chirp. Never figured it out. Never figured it out. This team is worse than they were. Victor Oladipo trade is looking like a bit of a disaster as uh, they dearly miss him as just a body out there right now. They need more scoring. They need more offensive firepower. And the bottom line is Bam Adebayo and Jimmy Butler had to come into the series and average 55, 60 points combined for the entire series for them to have a chance. And that's just not happening so far. Bam out of bio under 15 points in the first game. They got 16 points in the seventh, second game. And Jimmy Butler, it's just not there. The shooting has not been there so far. And it's something that, that has to turn around very quickly if you're going 4 of 10 from the field in game two. We'll see what they have in game three. Backs against the wall at home. The time is now for Eric Spolster and this Miami Heat coaching staff. They're going to draw up a gym. It's going to have to happen in game number three. They are a slight Slight underdog at home, minus one and a half in favor of the Milwaukee Bucks. Rolling along in the playoffs, Pat. It's another 2-0 series. We're going to kind of touch on all the 2-0 series here, and uh, and then I'll, I'll, I'll have thoughts on the – we'll talk about the Knicks last. That'll be our one 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 series we'll touch on. But Philadelphia-Washington, this one's pretty much over, Pat. Two overpowering on the inside are the Philadelphia 76ers. Uh, they just have too much defensive prowess. And a Washington Wizards team that relies so heavily – on their two-point shot attempts, especially in the interior of a defense. So, game, set, match, down 2-0, 120-95. The thing that miffed me most about this, Pat, was uh, the guy that dumped popcorn on our guy, Russell Westbrook. Like, was it worth come it? On. Come on. Was it worth it? There you go, Pat. Was it worth it? Was it worth getting banned and thrown out of the stadium? I heard Stephen A. He had a great point today. Why aren't we plastering this guy's dumb face all over all of these sports talk radio radio programs, sports talk shows, all over the arena, outside of the arena, like before the next game, like saying so-and-so idiot is banned. And then we had like Trey Young last night get spit on. Like the guy spit, Pat, on Trey Young with 50 Cent in between. Like 50 Cent was the little was the little two-story building that this giant a-hole spit over onto our uh, onto our, our, our towering king, Trey Young. So I hate seeing that. It's, it's really – it's really sad that the first what week it feels like we've had jam packed or semi jam packed stadiums. Already got two instances of guy pouring popcorn on someone is one thing, but to spit on another human being, Pat. I don't care who you are. I don't care how much money I'm making. I'm you, there aren't enough security guards to hold me back in that scenario. I'd be I'd be going ape on that person. That's crazy. That's about as disrespectful as you can literally be to somebody. And that wise guy got himself banned from MSG for life, right? Did you say that? He's I mean, arrested? That is, is there charges being pressed? Isn't that assault? I'm pretty I'm sure pretty, if you spit on someone, it's assault. That's assault, brother. I'm pretty sure <laughs> that you can make the case in most in most uh, jurisdictions. I guess uh, Russell Westbrook put his heart on his sleeve like he always does in his post-game presser, and he was pretty much like, it's out of place the way that fans are acting anymore. The way they can do anything, say anything, no one's stopping them. They just get free reign out there. The mob mentality kicks in. They just do it, say whatever they want. And it's as an athlete, I don't know 
how more malice in the palaces haven't happened. I guess there's just so many people in between them now to catch them to make sure they don't get into the stands. Wow. I mean, it's wild. It's. I, I just can't like Russell Westbrook. He had to be held about, I think three to four security guards. I don't think Trey young, because it was happening like in the middle of the game. His his he was like turned. right next to the sideline in the middle of the game in, in live minutes. And I don't know if he even felt it or what this what the situation was there, but it's crazy. That guy, especially the spitting thing, that's that needs to be that needs to be having some some charges pressed. Looking at these one one series though, Pat, with the Knicks and Hawks. Knicks tied up one oh one ninety two on Wednesday night. Utah ties up the series against Memphis with the return of Donovan Mitchell. One forty one to one twenty nine. Did not go to overtime in that one either, as we had a career high forty seven points from John Morant. He is getting anywhere he wants in the paint on a very stout interior defense headline by Rudy Gobert. And then Donovan Mitchell comes back and just opens up that Utah offense. The shooters were getting open and raining down threes on, uh, on the other side. We got the, um, we got the Lakers and Phoenix tied at one, one and Denver and Portland tied at one, one, both those teams matching off on Thursday night, right around 10, 10 30 Eastern. I, before we get to the, I want to, I want your favorite one, one series so far, Pat, and we'll uh, we'll close out the NBA segment on that. But first, what is up with these schedules, man? People got to work in the morning, 10 p.m. and 10:30 for two of the best series in the Western Conference. What are we doing? What are we doing here? Can we start the TNT series at like 6:30? Get these games on like an hour earlier? This is crazy. 10:30 for Denver Portland. Thank God I'm off tomorrow. I'll be able to watch, especially when I see all that Suns Lakers game. That's going to be yeah, a great that's one. That's it's that's it says it starts at ten, but it, we know realistically starts at ten fifteen. It's not mm-hmm. wrapping up till one a.m. I don't even want to be up that late. And I don't have to work tomorrow, Russ. So you're not the only one. Pat's like, I got to get my eight hours, man. <laughs> right? I got to get my beauty sleep. I mean, my favorite one one series has to be Knicks and Hawks. I think anybody right. would be crazy not to pick that one. Uh, just the youth, the inexperience, the excitement in that. You got Trey Young being a hater inside Madison Square Garden. They're gonna go to Atlanta. I feel like that place is going to be absolutely buzzing. This there seems to be way more connection uh, of the city of Atlanta to this team, to Trey Young, this young core Bogdanovich, who I always used to love watching on the Kings. I was a big fan of the Kings; thought he was a good key piece to them. Not sure why they got rid of him. He's been awesome for him. Uh, I just love everything about that series. It, it's it's been electric. So that's my favorite series. I think it'd be silly not to pick that one. That's a good one. I'm I'm going to differ. I'm going to differ from you though, Pat. Denver, Portland. Has been a lot of fun for me. I like the Knicks Hawks series, but I'm a I like a little bit more offense. I like a little bit more juice. Dame time has a special place in my heart. And Pat, that performance the other night where he dropped a 30 piece in the first half and I think went eight for ten or nine of eleven from downtown, just pulling up FU triples from 35 feet away. It's uh it's been really fun to see these prolific offenses go head to head. And uh, especially in that 128-109 victory by the Denver Nuggets. Nikola Jokic, 15 of 20, 38 piece in that game. Of course, matched by Damian Lillard's 42 on uh, 11 of 24 from the field. But he was lights out. I think it was like 8 of 10 in the first half from three-point land. So that one's been the most fun to watch for me so far. And I think both those series we just picked, probably two of the highest likelihoods out of these first-round slates to go seven games. We'll be talking about those ones for the next ensuing week, week and a half. I can't imagine getting out of the NBA though, Pat rolling into the NFL with lane number two, we have movement 
to start with the Atlanta Falcons, Julio Jones situation before touching on Packers OTAs. According to uh, ESPN's Adam Schefter, they have asked teams, uh, or excuse me, Atlanta has asked teams that have inquired about Jones for a first round draft pick in return. And then Diana Rossidi piggybacked off that saying, Atlanta has had discussions with Tennessee, a source described the Titans chances of landing Julio Jones as a long shot. So for, uh, for our guy, AJ Brown with the TikTok videos, it was great work, but I don't know if it's going to end up bringing Julio Jones back home, uh, back home as back home as AJ Brown said to Nashville. But we had the undisputed call on Monday, Pat, where Julio Jones did not confirmed, did not know that he was on live television when Shannon Sharp called him. We had that confirmed by Chris Sims of NBC Sports on Tuesday. So. Yeah, Pat, here we are with Julio Jones definitely wanting out and the Falcons wanting a first-round pick in return. I think somebody's going to pony it up, and he's probably going to be on a different roster. Potentially this time next week, we could be talking about a Julio Jones deal having gone down once we get past this June 1st uh, free agency kind of cap space opening window. I mean, this league, Russ, we for so long, NBA is the one who dominated the offseason talk and all this stuff, but we got TikToks. We got people were, you know, we got people calling in on live television, telling them they want to get traded if they're out of there. What is going on in the NFL? I mean, as much as we want to hate on Antonio Brown and he gets clowned on and he gets still brought up conversation, seems like he started a revolution in the NFL ever since the the antics that he pulled, the, the Facebook Live. Dude, the the NFL is must-watch reality television in every which way, every corner of the world. Whether it's the quarterback in the north or the diva wide receiver in the south, there is something for you in the NFL when it comes to off-season drama and uh, and tabloid headlines. It's a beautiful thing, Russ. It gives us plenty to talk about. We will never go a day without having NFL football to talk about anymore because of it. Not that we couldn't find a reason before either, but it's just hilarious. It's – I do think Julio. I don't think I, think, you know. I don't think you know. I he's think going he, to get. He's going to get dealt for a first round pick. We know somebody's going to do it, Pat. It's going to happen. We know oh, somebody's yeah. going to give up that first. Two first rounds. I wouldn't be shocked. Oh, you think the bidding war gets going? Pat's Pat's banking on a bidding <laughs> war. So the current odds right now. Uh, this is from PFF: Forty Niners plus two fifty, Raiders three to one, Patriots five to one, Chargers seven to one. And Titans nine to one. I find it very interesting, Pat, that the Jaguars are not on that list at all. Uh, we talked about the Colts on Monday. You, uh, who your team, your pick was the was the was it the Pats, right? You, you like the Pats for him? But then I ended up saying if I had to bet on it, I'd bet Colts. Right, right. The Colts at twelve to one, so that's massive value right there. And I, I really can't believe that the Jaguars aren't aren't somewhere on that list to me because with a with a rookie quarterback. A young team. Uh, I think aesthetically, Julio Jones fits really well there. Keep him in the South. You can you can keep building off of that. Alabama, like Jacksonville, SEC, ACC, Trevor Lawrence type of vibe you got. You brought in Tim Tebow. So, uh, yeah, there you go. There's SEC for you right there. And I don't know the Jaguars looming there. But Julio Jones, best odds right now are the 49ers at a crisp plus 250. So it doesn't pretty seem like, like, like Vegas. Yeah, Vegas doesn't know. I don't think they have any clue. Nobody has any clue right now. There hasn't been – usually we get like four to five teams that have had rumblings around what uh, around 
offering first round picks or making offers. And then they leak that to Rossini or, or Schefter or Rappaport or those guys, but have not had that yet. So Julio Jones definitely on the trade market. They're fielding calls and we should have an update on that over the next couple of weeks. Update out of Green Bay, Pat. No Aaron Rodgers showing up for the off-season program. Still vacationing with Miles Teller and his uh, beautiful bride out in Hawaii. Gotta love that, Pat. Gotta love just not only not showing up, but just driving that fork right in there with the beautiful uh, vacation <laughs> uh, waterfall shots out there on the islands. But Jordan Love in uh, in town. He's making throws to, let's see here, Pat. Malik Taylor and... Oh. Is that Reggie Begleton? Yeah, we got Malik Taylor, Reggie Begleton, and of course, his get this, Pat, his favorite target so far has been Amari Rogers, one of the uh the three guys he's been able to throw to, and probably the best receiver because he was the third round pick of the team this year. Doesn't didn't really I guess he did have a choice to show up to OTAs, but not a great look if the rookie doesn't show up to OTAs, especially if you're just a third round pick. So no Devontae Adams, no Alan Lazard, no MVS, no Economia Street St. Brown. Even Devin Funchess, all of them, not at OTAs, Pat. And when asked whether or not this was a coordinated uh, joint support effort by the wide receivers for their quarterback, Aaron Rodgers, Matt LaFour said, quote, I really don't know. I've had individual conversations with each guy, but never once has that come up. Shocking. I don't know where this is going. And we're getting June 1st, Pat. We're getting to that point where things can start to open up and – Honestly, I don't think he I don't think the Packers will trade him. I don't think they will do it. I really don't think they're gonna do it. I, I don't think they're gonna do it. They're gonna stick their foot in the ground, make him retire. They're gonna say, All right, don't show up. That's fine by us. Like I think the the precedent would be too much to set. And they're just not that's just not in the Green Bay Packer way. It doesn't feel like it's going to happen to me. I don't know how you would trade him. I think that would just be impossible to get anywhere near the value that he's worth. I don't know how it's possible not to just infuriate your fan base. It's to lose your job, quite frankly. Uh, And they're going to turn on Rodgers. They will turn on Rodgers. They will. Because what if when he goes on Kenny Maine's final sports center and starts doing all this political mumbo jumbo, naming everyone he loves in the organization besides the front office, fans can see right through that. And they're going to say, dude, you're on one of the best teams in the NFL. You've been with one of the best organizations in sports over the last 15 years. This has been a top-notch type of operation. They rarely miss the playoffs. They're always competitive. There is very little uh, little turnover in terms of coaching staff and front office personnel. At some point, they're gonna the fans are going to say, hey, Aaron, look yourself in the mirror and figure out what the issue is because you don't have a better opportunity currently in the NFL where you can go win a Super Bowl at a higher rate than what the Green Bay Packers are going to give you right now. And I believe that there is no better situation in the league, Pat, that Aaron Rodgers can go to to win a Super Bowl, especially if a team has to give up math or, or team will have to give up massive capital draft wise to go get him and probably one or two uh, starting level players. So when you factor in that, the only place I could see maybe being a Super Bowl contending team if he goes there is Denver, but they're in the same division as Kansas City and now the LA Chargers who seem to be a very fast up-and-coming team. So with with that high level of competition, I don't see it. Like you're in the NFC North. It's a very winnable division, always is every year. And as long as you keep performing at a high level, you're going to be the starting quarterback. If you say you love this team so much, the fans are going to hold you to that eventually. 
You make a great point. I mean, I think the fans ultimately will turn on Aaron Rodgers. They're way too loyal to the Green Bay Packers and the organization itself. So you are right there. It's not a good look for the Packers that this all went down. I assume that the wide receivers are absolutely on the side of Aaron Rodgers. And if Matt LaFleur wasn't having discussions about Aaron Rodgers to the other team and the wide receivers, I don't know what he was having conversations about because it seems like he should be a massive part of the discussions going on, making sure that he's happy, he's ready, he's going to play. Aaron is going to play week one in a Packers uniform, I assume. I, I bet he doesn't show up till like the preseason starts probably. I mean, are you? is it worry you? At what point do you start to get worried? Are you already worried about this team? Is there already no hope for this team and just like the drama and the circus effect that this has caused? Is this already just a, a lost situation going to the next season, especially with the, the, the fact that LaFleur seems to be on the side of the GM more so than on the side of the players? Yeah, I mean, to that last point, I don't know necessarily that I've gotten – I think LaFleur's done a pretty good job being apolitical in this whole thing, pulling the Switzerland move and, and being neutral. But I don't – I think you start seriously panicking the last week of preseason maybe. Like this is this is Aaron Rodgers we're talking about. He could probably roll out of bed, roll off of that uh, that Hawaiian cruise ship. I'm sure he and Shailene Woodley on and go out there and throw some dimes. So I wouldn't be too worried if I were the Packers, especially right now. And I'm gonna start getting very worried until a couple of weeks in training camp, and then you hit a mayday button in that final week, like I said. But like they liked what Jordan Love has shown so far in OTAs. I'm not gonna put any stock into those like comments. Like, sure, they're gonna say that they like what Jordan Love has done in OTAs. What? What else are you going to say? You're going to say sucks on air like when they're just throwing against shells? Like, no, you're not going to say that. So I just – it's going to end. The charade is going to end. He is not going to get traded. This is not something that happens in the NFL. And it's not like the Deshaun Watson situation at all prior to all of the mess and allegations and assault and all that, the sexual allegations came out. Deshaun Watson was on a terrible team that was being run into the ground. There is no indication that the that is happening in Green Bay. Yeah, I, I don't know if it's right to compare those two situations at all. But you did mention the back of the teams. Like the only team I could really see going for it is the New Orleans Saints. I mean, I get Sean Payton. I mentioned with Garoppolo. Like you're right. I don't know if there's any other team that's willing to blow up the franchise to commit to Aaron Rodgers like that, to commit to a vet like that. There would have to be some type of miracle love related, you know, situation. I have no idea uh, how someone would pull it off. I don't know how Gutekunst pulls it off without being the villain. That being said, you would hope that the Packers would handle this better than the Brett Favre situation, just because it was such a disaster on both sides of it. So if it's going to lean its way towards that, you might as well just trade this guy, get the most assets you can from him especially since he's still such a top-end elite talent. Maybe it would make sense to avoid. Well, you're not going to trade. You can't trade for Aaron. Are you going to trade for Aaron Rodgers, like, in the, in the middle of the preseason? Like, that seems like a massive move to make. And when has yeah. a right-before-the-season quarterback trade ever happened? I mean, I'm sure it's worked out before, but the last one I can remember was when Bridgewater went down and they had to give up a couple of valuable picks for Sam Bradford, Sammy Sleeves. <laughs> who, like, I'm not comparing. No, don't we come at you for comparing Sammy Sleeves to Aaron Rodgers. That's not what I'm doing here. But in terms of the situations, 
it's just so rare to see a quarterback, especially uh, a quarterback that's way higher caliber, obviously, than Sam Bradford get traded so close to the season. So Carson Palmer, I feel like, is one maybe. I don't remember what time of the year he was traded. Right, right. Yes, that's true with the Bengals. He was traded, I think, in the first week of September or something like that, that year. So, yeah, that's true, Pat. That's a good call. And what do you know? Guess who made that trade? The Oakland Raiders. <laughs> see if the uh, the old Raiders will be on that action uh, for Aaron Rodgers. You never can count out old Chucky as Aaron Rodgers just keeps living the summer of Aaron in uh, in Hawaii now. Going to be doing the match, Pat. Did you see that news? Him and Bryce DeChambeau matched up with uh, with Phil Mickelson and Tom Brady out in I think in Big Sky, Montana, something like that. And the uh, for the July, I think July sixth is when that's all going down for a little best ball. Uh, for some action to support charity. We'll see if we can catch anything off the live mics, Pat. That's what I'm going to be keying in on, catching it, catching some uh, some Aaron Rodgers Green Bay info off the live mics. Don't expect to hear any, but we'll, we'll see if the producers let anything slip through. As uh, the MLB is slipping away from some of the best teams in the entire circuit right now, Pat, three teams stick out to us currently on, uh, on the 27th day of May in this 2021 Major League Baseball season that I think are pretty much a cut above the rest of the major leagues, San Diego, Los Angeles, and the Tampa Bay Rays. Padres just dropped a rough matinee game in extras six to five. Some people's, uh, some people's bankrolls were, were, were impacted by that RIP with the Padres going down six to five and a pretty fun one there against Milwaukee, who is controlling the NL central right now, but they are not in the same group with San Diego, LA, and the Tampa Bay Rays, who sit at 31 and 20, Dodgers at 30 and 19, and the Padres at 32 and 18. These teams, Pat, I'm looking at the Rays, nine and one in their last 10. The Dodgers won 13 of their past 14, and the Padres, eight and two in their past 10 as well. These three teams, to me, feel like a cut above the rest, to be honest, especially when we're talking about the National League. I would be pretty surprised if we don't see San Diego and LA meeting up deep in the playoffs. I mean, it's they've it's the same story, right? You've got the the last World Series championship matchup between the Rays and the Dodgers, and then obviously the team that made the most splash and the most headway as far as accusations and uh, offseason moves in the Padres. So it, it makes sense that these three teams would be, uh, you know, separating themselves from the rest of the pack. That being said, it is very, very early. You know, I think this is just the first move. Maybe those three teams have really separated themselves from the rest of the field, but I think there are plenty of good teams still to show themselves in Major League Baseball. Uh, we talked about the parity that there seems to be in a lot of these divisions, and we saw the little run that the Toronto Blue Jays went on. They're a team that if they get really hot at the right time, stay healthy going late into the season, they could be – I mean the chance to be one of the most talented teams in all of baseball. The Angels have been very, very up and down, get hot one time, get get cold another. But with how talented just their top end stars are, I'd love to see them continue to make some runs. I, I think, the Angels I think Angels about six games. This I feel like the Angels are six games under 500 every time I look at them the past decade. Yeah. I don't want to panic yet for a lot of these teams, but I think what you're seeing in the terms of the Rays, Dodgers, and Padres is the three smartest teams separating themselves from the rest. All these other teams I just mentioned might have a great you know, starting nine or a great rotation or very, very elite players, a select amount of elite players. The Rays, Dodgers, and Padres can throw 
anybody in their entire system out there on the field and go 20 games over 500. They just have better development, better coaching, better analytics, better understanding of what they're trying to accomplish, probably better shifts, better pitch selection. Uh, everything about those franchises is just smarter than, than everything else, and you'll continue to see it. It'll be a trend in Major League Baseball. But um, I don't know if that necessarily makes them the World Series contenders. The, uh, the Dodgers and Padres will have to play each other. One of them will not be the division champ, which means they're going to have to come from the wild card position, which doesn't mean all that much in Major League Baseball, but it's still a factor. And the yeah. Rays, the Rays are so, you know, untraditional in their rotation and the way that they pitch players. I still get worried, you know, with is Glass now enough at the top end of that? They used to have Snell and Glass now to anchor the top of that rotation and uh, Martin as well. Chris Martin, I'm, I think I'm getting the right one, but. Right. What I don't do you make of the offense, Pat, of the race? Leading the AL in run scored so far this season, tied with the Red Sox at 259 total. Those two teams, obviously, at the top of the AL East and being buoyed by great offensive attacks. It's it's the money ball attack. They, they spend less money on everybody else in the roster, and they've just been so smart in how they've gathered players. Uh, Rosarena was through a trade. Austin Meadows right. was through a trade. Uh, I think Joey Wendell was one of their draft picks, but Yanni Diaz, Manuel Mar- uh, Margot, I feel like all those guys, I'm pretty sure Brandon Lau, all these dudes were, whether it was trading away Garrett Cole or trading – or not Garrett Cole, they didn't have him. Um, I was thinking of the Pirates for a second. But all the great trades that they've made uh, throughout the last few years, it, it's helped them survive. And it's just so smart the way they move on from players, the way that they match up players. They are so meticulous about uh, matchups, right, lefts, really catering to the pitch archetypes that their hitters are good with. So I don't know if it's going to last. I think there's other offenses that are just way too dynamic to be held down through a full season. And uh, like the White Sox, if it weren't for injuries, I imagine that they probably would have led all baseball by the end of it as well. So right. um, we'll see that. Right it, there. 240 on the season. So well, they could they could pick it up for sure. Yeah, but I mean, it's just so smart. And it's not even like they have high averages. All those guys I named, one guy, Joey Wendell's hitting over 300 on the Rays. Uh, it's just that money ball approach. Get on base and get home runs. The walk a bloop and a blast is all you need for three runs in, the, in major league baseball. So if you don't overcomplicate the game and uh, that's exactly what the Tampa Bay, Tampa Bay Rays do. Randy Rosarena come on with a vengeance in the, in the latter part of, uh, of April and beginning May. Like you said, Pat, not a crazy average, but 26 RBIs, seven home runs. He's uh, with a seven OPS as well. So he's, he's doing a job very well in left field for the Tampa Bay Rays getting it done in his young career. Two hurlers, Pat, that I want to get your thoughts on and what the impact's going to be from these injuries in Noah Syndergaard and Corey Kluber. Kluber on the shelf for two months, Syndergaard on the shelf for at least six weeks, and uh, Luis Rojas, manager for the Mets, uh, tepid and timid that he'll be able to pitch again this season, did not throw in 2020, has not pitched in a major league game this year, it seems like, unfortunately, Noah Syndergaard is just hitting every possible roadblock in his major league career. And on the flip side, Corey Kluber coming off of that dominant, impressive, renaissance-esque no-hitter performance for the 35-year-old. He, unfortunately, uh, gets put on the shelf just 
just the next start after. And uh, manager Boone did not say or confirm did not say that the no hitter and the ex, the excessive pitches led to it. But it's just a frustrating type of thing, and uh, it it's sometimes happens in baseball. And one more thing, Pat, I wanted to get your comments on that. And the uh, I'm trying to rack my brain because I just remember this from two days ago, and I wanted to, I know I wanted to get your comments on it with the weird baseball injuries we had. One of the pitchers, I forget who it was, he was ripping his jersey off too hard and he broke his finger or something. It was insanity. Oh, no, I missed that one. We'll have to get that story up to see who that was. That is All hilarious. Right, let me, let's, see, let's hear the impact of Kluber and Syndergaard now, and I'll, we'll close the show with the broken finger jersey. It's been so long since the Mets have had Noah Syndergaard on the mound that I really don't know how massive of an impact it's going to be, especially for a team that really feels like they're just trying to sneak into the playoffs and then see what happens and get hot at the right time. They've already got the best pitcher in the last 20 years of baseball and Jacob DeGrom, who is just absolutely right back where he left off with uh with that start the other night he is so so good at throwing baseballs uh he's really all you need is number one and stroman has such a feel for the moment he feels like a guy who can pitch on one day two days rest he'll be able to go on short notice be a really really good number two and they're getting awesome starts from the rest of their guys tajon walker i feel like is the one that i'm uh thinking of immediately so i'm not too worried about the mets however for the yankees with the mashers that they have, we knew that their starting rotation would really make or break the potential of that team. They were on pace or did set like a major league record for consecutive start, uh, consecutive scoreless innings from their starting pitchers. So, you know, Corey's Kluber's no hitter included in that run. You worry maybe they got hot too early, but you love that sign for how great that starting pitching has been. The last thing you want is for injury bug to start making its way, though. And so I think you have to be much, much more nervous if you're the Yankees. You absolutely want that rotation to stay on top of it, stay healthy, keep that rhythm going, keep that uh, the whole – yeah, keep the rhythm going. So I think that would be – the injury bug is the last thing you want for the Yankees. And it's kind of hit already, right, with Stanton, who is expected to come back. And I didn't even mention Luke Voigt, who I think has a has a grade two strain on down his side. And he's going to be out uh, for a little bit, although it might be good to get Voigt clear his head a little bit after starting the season. Was he batting? He's batting less than 200, Pat, and only one home run after leading the major leagues in the uh, in the weird pandemic season last year. That might go down as one of the, uh, the weirder statistical seasons we ever see, and it's starting to kind of – Show some regression to the mean, at least in that sense, for Luke Boyd. These big boys for the Yankees just cannot stay healthy. They swing too hard. I think that's my theory. If you're too big <laughs> in Major League Baseball, you swing too hard. You got too much force going on the oblique all the time. It, it'll get you. It'll get you. Oh, man. It is uh, It is very interesting, Pat, to see what we get out of the rest of this Major League Baseball season. I'm trying to find this, uh, this, this, this uh, injury here. But I, I I can't I can't figure it out. Let's see. Harrison Bader was that who it was? I don't know. I'm trying to find it. Pat. I heard it on the radio the other day. Some MLB player broke his broke broke broken appendage by taking off his jersey too hard. So it's just just chalk it up into another weird uh, baseball injury. But for Pat Fetch, I'm Russ Heldman. Want to wish everybody a very happy, healthy weekend. We'll be back on Monday to break down all the latest sports happenings. Have a great weekend, everybody.